Well, good afternoon, everybody. Now, I know that many of you will find this hard to believe as you look at the physical wreck standing in front of you this morning, but I used to be an athlete, you know. Uh, I did used to be, you know, quite, a, you know, quite a, uh, an athlete. I used to be quite a good runner, in fact. Uh, perhaps the word athlete is a bit of a, an overstatement, but I, I certainly enjoyed running. And I would often finish, you know, I'd often finish more than halfway up the field. When I say field, I mean the people running, not the field we were running across, <laughs> necessarily. Um, but I never did relays, though. I never did uh, relay races. Uh, I was a middle distance runner. Uh, in a real relay race, I think it's always the, the runner who sets off first, who has a certain responsibility to set the right pace, to get the thing moving, to, to pass the baton on well. And so I feel a bit like this kicking off the Book of Judges today. Uh, to get the thing moving well, to head it in the right direction, uh, to get us on track. So no pressure then for me on that. Um, so what we're going to do today is we've got, uh, we're going to have a look at uh, the series for a minute, have a look at what we're going to uh, think about as we go through the whole book of Judges, maybe a little bit of background, and then into the, into the passage itself. So let's briefly have a look at um, what's going on uh, before we dive into the first part of the book maybe you got a bit of a sense as Joan was, was talking there that it's probably not the most taught book in the Bible in our churches certainly that first part seemed a bit of a geography lesson I hope you're, you're, you feel your geography of Palestine is now a lot better than it was uh, a few moments ago um, but, but some of you will be familiar with stories like Samson and Gideon and those kind of folks from perhaps from your time in Sunday school or uh, as uh, Bible stories that you heard as a as a child. Um, and but, but other than that, it's maybe not the most common book uh, in, in sermon lists. So so why are we going to look at it? Why study it? why study it now well part of the thing is that God has given us all the Bible he's given us everything in it both the bits that are easy and that we like and the bits that we struggle with and we want to over time teach all of it because God has given us all of it he didn't mean us to ignore certain parts so we, I think we have a responsibility to, to preach uh, and teach through all of it um, and I think despite its reputation uh, there's a lot of very relevant things in here as we tease out the themes and as we study the applications that we're going to touch on over the, over the weeks and months I think we're going to be perhaps surprised by just how much there is in here for us and I'm not just talking about people getting unexpected haircuts or people getting... Uh, leaving fleeces out overnight and that kind of thing but I mean some real real good stuff uh, for us as Ian was saying we, we've spent quite a bit of time in the New Testament last year so it's, it's right to be digging into the, to the Old Testament at this point uh, and people will sometimes say about the Old Testament and passages like this is this really relevant? is this really, is this really for me? is this really something for for 21st century 
Rotherham. I want to suggest to you that it is. Hopefully we'll see that as we go. Certainly Jesus, when he was talking about Scripture, he was quoting the Old Testament. He didn't have, the, the, the New Testament wasn't there at that time. And Jesus often quoted the, the Old Testament. And so I think we're going to find it is very relevant for us here in, in Rotherham. Um, certainly a phrase that appears several times in the, in the book, it's actually at the end of the book, uh, Judges 21, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what he saw fit. And you know, that's a real theme in the book. And when you think about life in 21st century Rotherham, I think that that probably applies for us here today. I think there's a great sense in which people in our culture today do as they see fit and don't look to the King, the King Jesus. So I think that we're going to uh, get, get into that and um, uh, we're just going to highlight a couple of the themes for you so you listen out for these in the weeks ahead as we go you'll get a sense of some of the things we talked about Ian, Ian already talked about this a little bit um, leadership there's a lot of leaders referred to in the book uh, the word judges the, the, the people who, who are referred to as judges they weren't sitting in a court of law they were actually leaders of Israel for, for a period of time. Uh, and we get great insights into their strengths and their weaknesses. And there's certainly some lessons for us and, and we think about perhaps kings and some of the kings in the Bible like David and Saul and Solomon and people. And then the judges, and they're a bit different. They're doing things a bit differently. What's all that about? And then thinking that really their, their imperfections, their getting it right some of the time but not all of the time, is really pointing us towards the king who's going to get it right all the time. The king who gets it right and finally nails it. Of course that's Jesus. Uh, think about, we were only talking last week, Graham was talking to us last week about King Jesus reigning forever and ever. And this is what this, these leaders are really pointing us to in that way. But also there's a repeated cycle of Israel not following God, crying out to God, being rescued by a, a judge, a leader who God has appointed. And Israel's really happy again and they're following God for a while and then they stop following God and we start all over again. And uh, as, as Ian was saying there, you, you get a sense that it's actually, this is not a, a repeated cycle, this is actually a downward spiral. This is actually getting worse each time it goes down, which is why I've got the little orange squeaky logo there, um, to remind us of that. Uh, like water going down a plug hole. Whenever people say, oh my life's going down the plug hole, you know, Israel were gradually going down the plug hole through this uh, through this, this series of cycles and there's a lot about fallen people of fallen people who are um, living with idols by idol we mean something that people follow and worship other than God I'm not talking about teenage idols when I say that just for clarity uh, although speaking personally uh, I was idol a long time before I became a teenager 
but the, uh, the idols here are about the actual things that we follow and worship and, and sometimes put in place of God rather than, rather than him himself um, and Israel pre- repeatedly does this they start following idols uh, over the nation, that they've acquired from the nations around them and they over and over become disobedient to God Godly, God speaks strongly to them and then they come, they come back again a guy called Tim Keller said that the heart is an idol factory just reflecting the fact that uh, often our natural desire is to follow things other than God and I think there's a lot of truth in that uh, you know we want to follow something something we want to commit to something we want to worship and that thing then is not God which is what it should be uh, but this cycle this downward cycle that we talked about is not complete unless we also think about a faithful God unless we think about a gracious God because in each one of those cycles God at the end of the day hears the Israelites cries and said okay you might, you might be being disobedient but I am faithful I am going to pull you out of the, the cycle you've got into I'm going to send you someone to lead you as you recover uh, and so even though Israel is not faithful even though Israel doesn't do what it's supposed to do God is God is faithful when we are not and I don't know about you but that sounds very familiar to me time and again God forgives and rescues even though Israel doesn't deserve it time and again God is gracious and rescues me even though I do not deserve it and so we see a yes in Judges we can see a holy God who's demanding obedience but we also see a gracious and a generous God who loves people who loves his people loves his chosen people who's going to treat them far better than they deserve repeatedly as in again and again does that sound familiar to you? boy it sure does to me but, but let's be honest uh, like many books in the Bible that we study there are issues there are reservations that we have because there are some tricky things that crop up in fact most of them are already cropped up in this first passage um, uh, issues like violence uh, how do you feel when you read the Bible and you find that someone is rejoicing because their enemy has had a tent peg hammered through the side of their head what you, you know you can read the passage and you skip over that that's the kind of thing that you wouldn't get on you know, you have to put it on after 11 o'clock at night on the TV because it's like video nasties or something, you know there's a guy, we'll get to the story in a couple of weeks, but you know the guy there comes into the tent, falls asleep lady comes along, tent peg hammer, bop, through the head <laughs> oh that's like but this is in the Bible you know, what so we have issues, don't we? We, we think, well, why is that? Why is that there? That is like, ugh. it's there for a reason. It's there for reasons we will find out. I don't want to steal anybody else's thunder. 
Remember, when we read these stories, this is, this is what happened. It doesn't mean all of it was necessarily something God would have really totally approved of. You know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, they should have just handed them over to the cops, shouldn't they? I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, how about a bit of ethnic cleansing? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, you think about all the stuff we're, we're reading at the moment about um, in the papers about uh, refugees leaving countries like Libya and Syria because there's a certain amount of ethnic cleansing going on there. But what, what does God say? God says to the Israelites, drive these people out of this country. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to be challenged by these kind of passages. And that's good. Because God likes to challenge us. He does not want us to be just happily drifting along, bobbing along, skipping through fields of daisies. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn. He wants us to learn about him. And so that's what we're going to, to do. And to be honest with you, uh, there's a certain sense in which when you read the book on the face of it, it can be quite depressing. You know, it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, Israel, for the umpteenth time, are now following idols and are, um, you know, disobeying God. It's not exactly P.D. James, is it? You know, and yet that is what, this is how God has written it. He's written it for us so we dig, so we dig deep, so we understand more about him. We look past the surface story to see what is actually going on. Look for the bigger picture. Yes, Israel didn't have a king at that point. That is true. But there's one on the way. There's one who's coming. We need to know about that. We need to we need to hear about that. Yes, we'll, we'll have some good familiar stories from Sunday school and a new, but hopefully we get that from a new angle. Hopefully we can see that in a new way. And at this point, just to get something out of my system, I just want to say why, 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 Delilah? So I can just get that out of the way, uh, off my own heart before we move on. And then, and anyone else who cracks that joke later when we come to Samson? Okay, I did it first. Okay, so they can't do that. So, um, what's going on? Okay, a tough act to follow. First line, first line in Judges there, after the death of Joshua. This whole narrative is set out uh, just after the death of Joshua. Joshua is the leader of the nation of Israel, after Moses. Uh, God had led them out of Egypt through the desert for 40 years, uh, to the edge of the land that God had promised Abraham. Moses dies there on the edge of the land. He'd not been allowed to enter it. And so it's Joshua who leads the Israelites into Canaan. And he uses, God uses Joshua to fulfill that promise made over 400 years before to Abraham that you will have a land of your own. And before Joshua dies, and so, and so he does that, that, for the first time in their history, Israel has its own home, its own land. Before Joshua dies, he sets out how the, the promised land is going to be divided up amongst Israel and all the tribes here and you're going to live there and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so there's a real sense of, you know, we've arrived. Okay, we've arrived 40 years through the desert, slavery in Egypt, da-da-da, no, we're here. 
And at the, right at the end of his life, Joshua talks to the leaders of Israel. And he tells them that they've got to do... He's already told them several times, but he's going to remind them, you've got to do certain things. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have to... You're going to have to obey God. Obey God and worship him. Don't associate with the nations around you. Don't intermarry uh, with those nations. Do not worship the gods the Canaanite nations have. Do not do that. And then he says, because if you do, God is no longer going to give you victory over them. You're going to struggle if you live in Canaan then. He says, you're going, those nations will become, these are what become, they, those nations will become snares and traps and whips for your backs and thorns in your eyes. Things that cause pain, take away liberty, and in some cases, you know, killing the Israelites. Um, and so, that is his warning. That is something that he sets out and says, you know, if you, if you follow God, everything's going to be great. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. That's all at the end of, end of Joshua. And so with that ringing in their ears, and ringing other places as well, Joshua sends them on to their new home in the promised land. And says, get on with it. You've got, to feel for the, you've got to feel a bit for the Israelites at that point. You know what I mean? You, you know, they've had this great leader, led them very successfully. And that's going to be a tough act to follow. That's going to be a tough act to follow. And you imagine them, verse 1, milling around a bit. And, yeah, Monty Python, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? What are, we going to do? what are you going to do now is you're going to get on and conquer Canaan. Finish the job. And so we don't quite know how, but God says, Judah. Judah, you're the ones who are going to go in and, and kick off the, this, this part of the conquest. I don't know if you remember, but when Jacob was blessing his sons, he forecast that Judah was going to have this role, this lead role in, in Israel. So here's Judah coming in, roaring like a lion. He's off. Straight away, bang, 10,000 Canaanites. Kills them. We only got to verse 4. We've already got people dying out by tens of thousands. Do you just read over that number? Do you, do you just skip over that number? That number is way bigger than the number of people who died during the Falklands conflict. That number is, is way bigger than the people who died at Srebrenica. If you're thinking about recent events, that's a lot of people. Is God just really cruel and nasty? Is he just a vindictive God who's killing 10,000 people just because he can? This is one of the issues that troubles us about this, this part of the Old Testament, these kind of narratives. Let's be honest, you know, there are some large-scale pieces of violence recorded in the Bible and people say God is not like that. God would not do that. Yes, you know, yes, we should be disturbed by that kind of death toll. However, like all of the Bible, it's there for a reason and we need to see it in the way that God sees it. A guy called Dale, Dale, Dale Ralph Davis, um, 
points out that the Canaanites were actually a very, very wicked group of people. They were actually a very nasty group of folks. And uh, we, won't get, we won't go to the passages now, but in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, Leviticus chapter 18, we read about them doing some pretty outrageous stuff. Uh, and so, what we're, what we're seeing here, I want to suggest to you, is God responding to that wickedness. In the same way that from time to time, other nations were used to punish Israel. You know, Israel, when they did something bad, some Moabites or someone would ride over the hill and, and give them a good pasting. In the same way, Israel is now being used to punish the wickedness of the Canaanites. Because God is, remember, a holy judge and a just God. They're very bad people. God is holy. He's very angry about it. He's going to take some action. And so, yes, you know, we feel uncomfortable. Yes, this kind of passage challenges us, but Israel is carrying out a sentence from a judge. And this judge is 100% correct in his judgments and in his punishments. So Judah gets success. Anyway, Judah's off there. You can see Judah's doing pretty well, conquering different people. Um, He's allowing them to triumph militarily. But then, oh, more nasty stuff. We're only down to to verse 6. Verse 5. And this guy, Adonai Bezek, turns up and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. What's all that about? You'll never play your video game again, would you? You can't do it. Um, what's going on? Well, you think about it, you know, the, the kings at this time were military leaders. So, so this guy was a military leader. He led his people into battle. He wasn't a guy in the background. You know, he led his people into battle. How can you lead your people into battle if you can't grip a sword? Because, you know, opposable thumbs. You cannot grip your sword or your spear. And because you've got no big toes, you can't balance. So you can't run around or, you know, you cannot lead, lead your people. And so, um, uh, you know, they are, the Israelites are stopping this man from leading his people into battle and therefore leading his people. Because at that time, if you couldn't lead your people into battle, you weren't a king worth having. Because that's what it was all about. Um, and maybe also a bit about humiliation. You know, say, yes, you've been this guy. But still, you know, it seems horrific, and you know, when that—I don't know about you—when that kind of stuff comes on the TV, I turn over. You know, I, that kind of stuff too scares me. Um, but it's interesting, you know, parts of the Bible were given the reactions of other people to give us a clue of how God thinks about it. So look at look at this guy's own reaction there in verse seven. He says, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off." are picking up scraps under my table. God has paid me back for what I did to them. So he's saying, well, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable punishment. I've done it to 70 other kings. Now it's happened to me. No, that's okay. I don't have a, a problem with it. Remember at this time, these lights were being, still being taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in that way. 
Uh, but Judah goes on and does some more destroying and occupying. This bloke calls, Othniel turns up. We'll hear about him in about five weeks' time. I'm not going to get into that now. And uh, but suddenly, verse 19, Judah couldn't drive out the people on the plains because they had iron chariots. Presumably Israel, what? felt intimidated a bit felt a bit scared Uh, did they try to take them on at all, did they try to drive them off, the text doesn't say Um, it's not clear but even though the verse says God was with them they didn't drive them out, now usually in the Old Testament you read God was with them and they drove them out, God was with them and they succeeded, God was with them and they did things so I think we get the sense that maybe they didn't try that hard maybe they were scared maybe whatever it is Uh, and so the the tone starts to change here the the tone starts to change to, to subtle disobedience and it is subtle this is subtle And it, it becomes a bit depressing when you, when you read this, to be honest with you, when you think about it. You know, because we see Israel sort of defeating the Canaanites, in a way. So they defeat them, but they don't drive them off. Or they defeat them and they enslave them, or, or they do different things. We've got, we've got nine of the twelve tribes of Israel mentioned here. Uh, the others are on the east side of the Jordan somewhere doing their thing and they've already sorted their bit out their their occupation of of Palestine but but some of the tribes are are defeating their enemy and allowing them to remain that wasn't what God said he didn't say that so the people the Canaanites live amongst them they're, they're their neighbours, they're their next door neighbours but they're nice folks they love, they love their kids, why not I mean they're nice people, you know take their, they take their rubbish out every day, you know, they're nice why don't you drive them out, they're okay I mean they're not Israelites, but you know they're okay, they're alright oh they worship different gods yeah well, you know, people do sometimes, don't they live and let live, you know, it's all okay you know. that wasn't what God had said yeah. some of the tribes were defeated and they actually enslaved their enemies so these are folks who are trying to get economic benefit from the people who they've conquered uh, you know, come on who likes to do all those manual jobs, right? I mean, you know, if you, if you have the choice between sitting at a desk in an air-conditioned office or taking out the rubbish which one are you going to do? you know, come on so they've enslaved the people who they conquered that wasn't quite what God said yet. That wasn't, that wasn't the deal. Or sometimes they, they even just struggled to defeat them. As, as uh, Judah and some of the guys, maybe they, maybe they had superior technology, iron chariots, you know, the uh, cruise missiles of their day. Um, or maybe there were just lots of them. And so, ooh, it's a bit scary, run away. And so they, they don't conquer them. And they get on with it and they live together. And, they, and, and I don't know about you, I don't think they, 
I don't think they really realised in one way. We'll come back to that. But, you know, we're not talking about military campaign here. This is not a military campaign. This is a spiritual campaign. The Israelites are not following the orders of the general who sent them. They're not... Yes, okay, you know, earthly generals sometimes make mistakes. This one doesn't. They're not following the orders of the Supreme God. The Supreme God, remember, who delivered them out of Egypt, who sustained them supernaturally in the desert. He gives them specific instructions, and however reasonable we may think their reasoning was, however sensible they were, they have disobeyed God. And this is where this is where it becomes subtle. This is where it becomes, you know, did they realise? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because because when we think about our, you know, when I think about my own rebellion and my own disobedience, that can be very subtle sometimes. When I do things wrong, I can really justify to myself why I'm doing it. You know, there's a really good reason. Oh well, yeah, it was just a little lie, but you know, just a little white lie. Because I know that, you know, that way it wouldn't have upset them. So it's okay, you know. And sometimes, sometimes I'll either, even pretend. So I pretend, I, I know that what I have done is wrong. And I know that in the back of my mind, so I say, okay, here's my justification. Here's my justification for what I've done wrong. So it's okay. And then the little voice at the back of your mind goes, no it isn't you know it isn't and then you pretend you haven't heard the voice and that it's still okay and so we believe our own publicity we believe our own lie we're lying to ourselves, and we believe it and there's God going yeah, come on, who are you fooling I know and so, so we do that we, thought we, we know we know we're rebels did they know? Did they know? I think they knew. Importantly, we know God knew. Because he knows everything and you ain't ever going to fool him. All our clever arguments and that. And by the way, did you know, do you notice how your friends know as well? So, so you, 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 say, you come up with this clever justification for why you're going to do this thing. And you think... <laughs> You're not fooling your friends, you know, because your friends are like, your friends are like, yeah, yeah, okay, I know what they're doing really. That's just an excuse, yeah. So you don't, so it might, you never fool God, and in my experience, you don't often fool your friends. Anyway, um, and so, but God isn't going to let that lie. So God is going to tell them exactly what He thought. And so He starts off in their chapter two. He starts off. He reminds them what he's done for them. He says, you know, I've pulled you out of Israel. You're my chosen people. All this stuff. And remember, this is an ancient history at this point. When he's saying this, this isn't like us looking now. Uh, he's talking to the children and the grandchildren of the people who crossed the Red Sea. Yes, this is pretty recent history for Israel. Something certainly they would be very familiar with and wouldn't have forgotten. And we forget what God's done for us, don't we? Quite often. 
I know I do. And then the angel gives them what God's judgment is. He says, yeah, God's been faithful, but you haven't been. You have not been faithful. You have not done what he told you to do. And this is a big deal at this time. That word covenant, at this point, covenants were things you did not break. You know, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like uh, an IOU for your neighbour's hedge trimmers or something. I mean, this, this is something you did not break. At some point, it's what they used to do in, in, at this time with covenants, is when they made a covenant, they would get animals, cut them in two, and put them on each side of a path, and then walk between them. The people making the covenant would walk between them. What they were saying was, if we break this covenant, this is what you can do to me. You know, you can cut me in half and spread me across. So, you know, you did not break covenant. And so this is a big deal. And so the Israelites at this point, I mean, first of all, you know, it's an angel of God who's come to tell you. It's not like your neighbours pop round. You know, it's the angel of God who's come to tell you. So you're going to be a bit trembling already. And then the angel says, you know, the bad news, you've broken the covenant. And again, you know, when someone confronts me with that kind of thing, bearing in mind what I was saying previously, I sort of go, yeah, and I kind of knew I had, but I was kind of lying to myself that I hadn't. Or I was actually pretending to myself because I actually knew that I'd done it. So maybe they're thinking that, we don't quite know. But it's going to be bad news. And so, you know, this trembling and wailing and all that kind of thing. And also what he does is he then tells them the result of their disobedience. And so he says uh, that the uh, chapter 2 verse 3 there. Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive them out before you talking about the other nations. There will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare for you. Does that sound familiar? That's what Joshua said to the leaders before they before they back in the book of Joshua before this, before they came, they came on this conquest. This is exactly what they said they were going to happen. That, 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 that if you do not drive these nations out, they will become a thorn and a snare to you. They're going to hurt you. Thorns hurt you. Snares trap you. Yeah? And that is what is going to happen. That's in Joshua chapter 23. If you go back to look at that. And I just read this stuff, and I just, and just, I just think about me, not in a selfish way, but it just reminds me of, of me. God tells him what to do, and I say, yes, you know, I'm going to repent, I'm going to follow you, yes, that's all, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. You know, and, and initially I do, initially I do that, you know, and, and then slowly, subtly, I give it away slowly and subtly not all at one time not one big thing I start to disobey perhaps not even deliberately sometimes not even consciously although maybe as we're saying maybe I'm just pretending I find reasons not to dis- not to obey you know did God really mean that you know I mean when he said that did he really mean it 
Or is he just talking like Bible stuff? You know, uh, or maybe, you know, well, you know, God said that, but he didn't really mean it for 21st century modern life, did he? I mean, that, come on, I mean, that's so old-fashioned, yeah. That's so 20th century. Hands up, who was born in the 20th century? Um, you know, nobody could possibly do that. I mean, that is, you know, that is impossible to do that. that that's just crazy. Uh, or how about this one do you ever do this one I like this one I don't like what I've been commanded to do so I go and talk to someone who I think is really wise and ask them did God really mean we were supposed to do that and they say yes so you go oh so then you go and ask someone else someone else who you think is very wise you say did God really mean to do that and they go yes you go oh so then you go and ask someone else and say, did God really mean to do that? And they go, well, probably not. You're a very wise person. <laughs> I've always liked you, you know. And suddenly you've got the get out. Suddenly you've got the let out. Or is it just me? I don't know. Um, or to try to negotiate with God. If I do this for you, will you let me sort of have a little bit of sin? You know, I'll do that and you can just let me have a little one, you know. A freebie. Um, seeing... And seeing how close you can get to disobeying God without actually disobeying God. Do you do that? Do you ever have... Do you ever, we get this sometimes... There's none of the youth group here. Okay, just the leaders. We get this in the youth group where the youth group will ask, you know, how close... If I do this, is it actually sin? And the question is how close... What they're asking is, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? You know, how, how close can I get to bending that rule without actually breaking it? And we do that, don't we? We, we all do that. And that is the, think about that, that is the total opposite of what God wants. That is the total opposite. He's the, he doesn't want us to see how close we can get to making him angry. He wants us to be how far we can get in the other direction. He wants to know how how. How, how close to holy and none of us are holy you know, we can get and not, not trying to break how close we can get to breaking the rules we promised zealous obedience when we repent we promise to do our best to follow him and we don't and to be clear just to be clear it's not that he needs that promise he doesn't need our zealous obedience uh, Certainly it's not going to save us because we know that we are saved through our faith, not through our works. But Jesus has saved us, think about this, Jesus has saved us from an eternity in agonising hell. And we are quibbling about how close we can get to disobedience. The right response is is how close can we get to you, Jesus? Not how far can we be away from you? So let me challenge you. I want to challenge you today to think about what you have rationalised in your own lives. What I have rationalised in my own lives. What have we negotiated about with God? I could ask myself, how zealous am I because of my thankfulness to God? I've got so much to thank Him for. Literally everything. Do I express that? Do I really express that in my life? He said, pick up, my, pick up your cross and follow me. Do I really do that? Do I really fight my sin? Do I really do what I can? Even at a great cost to myself? I don't know, I always do.
don't know that I always do but if you are here and you are not a Christian we are really glad that you are with us today uh, we're glad you've chosen to be with us We'd nowhere else you'd rather be uh, can I challenge you as well when you look at this to see how the Israelites are behaving how subtly they, they are perhaps justifying what they're doing uh, even though they know it's wrong because we, you know, we all know what's right and wrong if we're honest if we're honest in our hearts we all know what is right and wrong and we also know we don't always do it we know that like that spiral we were talking about the spiral of the Israelites we know that we're going down but here is good news here is good news this good news is that God is compassionate and faithful when we are fallen and he is not going to let that go down without making some kind of intervention and what did he do? he sent his son Jesus to grab us out of that plug hole to grab us out of that downward spiral because God is gracious and compassionate he's not going to let us do that and so he rescues us from that downward spiral and if you're not a Christian here today he would want to rescue you from that downward spiral what he wants is for you to believe in him and to turn away from that disobedience and that rebellion and instead love him because he loves you be zealous he rose from the dead after three days so you could believe that and trust in him yes we don't not do it perfectly but we want to live a life that, that is as best as we can pleasing to God all of us whether we are Christians or whether we are not Christians need to submit to this King Jesus who else is going to help us who else can change us I can't change myself only God can change me who else is going to help me love God the way I should who else is going to help me love my neighbour the way I should only Jesus is only Jesus is going to help me do that with zeal and with energy Romans chapter 12 verse 11 says never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervour. Let's pray.